0: Well, welcome everybody. Wow, this is kind of crazy. We are here live. We are the House of X book club. I'm Rob, your host. Uh, With us are some of the usual suspects. We have a member down with COVID and it's a big bummer um, because he's the guy that this stuff is really made for. Like Drew is is the one in question and he comes in with no knowledge of the X-Men, almost no knowledge of the X-Men. Um, and so everything he reads is completely new to him. He's like, wait, Magneto was hiding in that house. What? And we always
1: (laughs) we love it. We love
0: it. Yeah. It's, it's the best thing because Drew's total noob. Um, sadly he's not here and I really want to hear what he has to say about the book we're going to be talking about, but let me introduce
2: everybody first. So we've got Shane. Hey everybody. I would like to welcome all the Mendocino Fish fans. I didn't realize there was a crossover between Fish and the X-Men, but here we are. Wait, wait, Fish? (laughs) <laughs> um never mind we've got Raj
3: good evening everyone tonight's episode may contain subjects of an adult nature Shane sometimes like to talk talk about peepees or <laughs> drop the f-bomb so viewer
0: discretion is advised strongly strongly advised um we have the one person in the group who makes sense Rowan hello see she <laughs> she's the one person who makes sense so <laughs> um so, yeah, this is this is really cool. It's our live performance with, like I said, uh, I don't know. There's like five people and then the one guy who actually listens to our podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're hoping that'll change, right? We're hoping that'll grow. Uh, yeah, two people. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> which which one? Well, hopefully we'll grow to two people. Oh, okay. Yes, good. Okay. So I'm still kind of like blown away that, that like we're at Gallery Bookshop in Mendocino. At any rate, uh, X-Men Grand Design is... You know, before I get into that, uh, what is the House of X book club? The House of X book club started as a book club where I thought, you know, I got this group together because I wanted to, well, I guess to, to cut to it, the current X-Men books are totally whacked. And and you're, if you were just to jump into the current X-Men books, you'd be like, what is going on? It, it has nothing to do with the rest of the Marvel universe, but it's cool stuff. And I was wondering they get there. So you know what, let's go ahead and start back to number one in 1963. It only means I've got thousands of books to read until I catch up. So uh, I thought I'd suck in some of my oldest and dearest friends to help me do that, uh, which is why I got in touch with Shane and Roger and I, you know, reached over the vastness of space to Rowan, my wife who lives in my house. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then I drug Drew into it to uh, get together and talk about these books. Um it quickly became a podcast. Shane was right away like, let's make it a podcast. I'm like, oh, no, you don't want to do that. Um, but it turned out to be quite fun, and we're having a blast doing it. Uh, yeah, is there any 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 of you guys, um, how's your experience been with the House of X book club?
1: I'm having fun. I'm having fun.
0: Rowan is uh, still in denial. It's a podcast. She keeps saying. It's a book club. <laughs> So how about you, Roger? How are you digging it? Uh, it's been interesting. There's been a lot of ups and
3: downs. Um, it's been a little emotional, and there's been some turmoil. Um, I've laughed.
0: I've cried. It's become a part of me. Roger has lost relationships because of this book club. Um, <laughs> and and Shane, so... Before, and he's lost
2: his car keys four times. Four times.
0: He doesn't even have to leave the house and that happens. So um, before before Shane, before you tell me, I, I want to thank you. Like, you and Roger... Um, these guys are friends from high school like we've been through we've been through a lot together and um and it, it's just been really cool kind of one growing up with these guys reading comic books when we were kids and now as adults um, uh, you know going back and and catching up or even reading stuff we'd never read before so um and Shane is a sound guy he's a tech guy and he stepped up right away and was like yeah let's make it a podcast and so he does the editing he does the sound, as you can see here. He even brings the paparazzi with him, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, Shane, how has your experience with this book club?
2: Oh, it's been great. It's just the people are <laughs> such a pain in the ass.
0: You're, ta- you're talking about Roger and Drew, right?
2: Well, you know, Roger just likes to crap on all of our heroes just from
0: day one. And it's. I've just... apologized about Kirby, <laughs> all right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the estate of Jack Kirby doesn't think it's all right. No, I kidding. apologized. I'm kidding.
2: Yeah, the cease and desist letters still keep coming. Um, so I don't know what you're doing on the internet, but you've um, got to <laughs> cut it out. You're
0: of liberty to discuss it. <laughs> this comes from, from reading Jack Kirby and Stanley X-Men comics and Roger coming out. If you haven't heard the episode, Roger comes out and says, I respect the man. I do not like his artwork. And everybody you could hear like gasps.
1: <laughs> I want to stand up for Roger right now. Because then we read some other issues, and he was like, you know, I, I'm kind of liking his art in this one.
2: back backpedaling. Um,
1: no. <laughs> full disclosure,
2: no. Roger beat the rest of us to it. That's just <laughs> all there was to it. True enough. <laughs> just, True
0: enough. Um, so so this book that we're going to be talking about tonight is, I almost want to call it a primer to the X-Men. It is a book collecting, well, let's go back. Ed Pisker. Um, he was born in like 1982. And- so when he was growing up reading X-Men comics, he was basically reading the comics that we were reading in the 90s, okay? Um, and the art was flashy. The X-Men were really dynamic and... Almost like a different comic entirely. It was a totally different comic entirely, yes. And Ed Pisker had, had was, a, was a cartoonist. He actually did a book called Hip Hop Family Tree, which was a graphic documentation of, of the hip hop culture. Amazing book. Yeah. Amazing. It won Eisner Awards, um... And then, I don't know, he probably said, hey, Marvel Comics, can I do an X-Men thing? And they're like, you? Yeah, whatever, sure. But he talks about how Robert Crumb was one of his biggest influences. And you can totally see it in the art in this comic book. So he put together a two-issue miniseries. Well, three two-issue miniseries. And it's essentially taking all the the main, like all the big moments in the X-Men history and putting it in one narrative. So the book starts out with... The Watcher, who sees everything from The Dark Side of the Moon, explaining what it is he knows about the X-Men and what he's seen the X-Men do over the years. And um, it's interesting, to say the least. So uh, Ed Pisker wrote it. He did the pencils. He did the inks. He did the coloring. He did the lettering. And then we've got a couple guys doing the editing. Uh, and Axel Alonzo, I think, was the editor-in-chief. So I miss him. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, it's an interesting book. Even though I want to say, Raj, even Stan Lee gives credit to, I mean, uh, Ed Pisker gives credit to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll quit. I've never not given them credit. This I'm is just true. saying, I'm not a big fan. If there's anybody that has a hard time giving credit to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, it's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the, wait, did we actually get to Shane talking about how his experience? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um. But again, thank you for doing all the, all the tech work, man. That's no, fun. I'm, I'm having
2: a good time with this.
0: <laughs> um, so in the book, the artwork is... What would you guys say? How, how would you describe the art? Because like I said, when we started reading these books, the art was, was really flashy. It was really dynamic. What we're reading now in our continuity, the, uh, the X-Men artwork is very simple because it's still 1967, I think. So...
1: Well, I guess that would just be compar- comparatively speaking. If you think of how a lot of art now is like li- literally glossy because it's printed on literally glossy paper, sometimes done with computers, maybe is airbrushed looking, and the older style art was hand drawn and done on newsprint originally. Um, that's what that's what we're looking at. Even um, even even looking at a, um, digitally quote unquote remastered, we're looking at something that was originally. Hand-drawn on newsprint, um, but a lot of it is well done, and some of it's even uh, even sophisticated. It's just how you know, just how fancy it gets, especially with technology as time goes on.
3: Um, well, the inks change, the colors
1: change. Right. How many colors they can even print yeah. changes.
2: Right. Well, and that's one of the things I like about this book too is the attention to the detail to make it look like it was done on newsprint, and the coloring is done like it was a faded old copy that someone had had in their back pocket for like three months. And then, you know, it's stuck in the spokes of their bicycle to make the motorcycle noise when they went down the street. Mm -hmm. And It's that attention to detail is really nice.
0: Well, that is, that is Ed Pisker's art. I mean, the whole thing is art. The letters are art. The, the colors are art. Um, in the back of this particular book that we're talking about tonight, that's being passed around, there is a reproduction of X-Men number one, where it's done with that newsprint, kind of paper it's it's colored by ed pisker so so he took the original story and kept the art but did the coloring and made it kind of look like the the rest of the story that we're talking about so it's kind of cool i mean that is his artwork it it's it's all of it
1: yeah i also think that was a very stealthy way to endear the reader to his narrative because he he this is called grand design he is showing this idea that all these bits and pieces, these episodic issues that didn't necessarily have to do with each other, he is saying that there's a grand design that they are actually telling one big story. And by taking the first issue and recoloring it to match the, the coloring in, in the grand design, he's basically just reinforcing the idea that from the beginning, it was the grand design. Which is fun because
2: we've we've been talking this whole time about how, well, you know, there was the narrative is now is that the X-Men represent minorities and underrepresented people. And our our working theory at this point in the book club is that that was kind of a retroactive thing. And we think that that someone said that to Stan Lee at some point And he was like, you know what? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was my plan from the beginning. Sure it was. But it works.
0: I mean, you know, let's let's go ahead and use that that. Ideal. And, which probably is why Stan Lee or why the X-Men have stuck around for so long. Because it does work.
1: I'd, Click on his feet. Right. And I do think that that is a possibility. But I do think like the idea of bigotry, like fighting bigotry and dealing with bigotry was always there. I do think there was something about the mistrust of mutants and people disliking mutants. And look at these nice kids who didn't do anything wrong and people hate them. Like I think that was there. And so the, the idea that bigotry sucks... Um, I do think that was always there. Um, and so I, I do think, I think Stanley and Jack Kirby deserve some credit for, um, for putting that part of it there from the beginning.
0: This book is interesting in the sense that Ed Pisker knows the history of the X-Men. He's read all the books and he is kind of rewriting the narrative, um,
2: just a little <laughs>
0: The story doesn't exactly match. Um, he's following the main narrative, but he is kind of adding some interesting details in. and it, at first, when I first heard about this book, I'm like, well, obviously he doesn't know anything about the X-Men because he didn't he got all this wrong. I, I think he's recreating it so that the narrative works better for him, you know um, and I like to look at this story as uh, an alternate universe maybe an alternate Marvel universe. It's certainly not the Marvel 616, as they call it, which is the standard, you know, Marvel universe. This is the Ed Pisker universe.
2: It's, I, I was worried I had had a stroke when I got farther into the issues. I was like, I don't remember mentioning the Phoenix in any of the books I read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the book starts
0: out where Watcher's talking about mutants and why mutants exist. And he talks about how mutants are necessary because it helps humanity evolve. Mutation helps us evolve. It helps us stay strong in, in harsh environments, etc. Um, and and he goes on. This is like he talks about it from the beginning of time. And then he talks about uh, 19, 1941, which is where the Submariner and the Human Torch fight and the Submariner floods New York City. So flooding New York City is a big deal. And this comic book literally came out in 1941, the one where Submariner floods the city. Um but this is in Pisker's mind where anti-mutant sentiment begins, because people recognize Namor the Submariner as the first mutant in Marvel Comics. Therefore, he's the guy that killed millions and and you know chased people out of their homes because their city was flooded. Uh, in the book, they show a lot of water and a Statue of Liberty's hand coming up out of the water holding a torch. So it's it's a lot of water. <laughs>
2: Well, that's one of the things I really liked about this too. Is is after that they acknowledged that a bunch of people died because, like in the X Men, it would have been written like, "Oh, everyone escaped the tidal wave and moved back into town and opened up small businesses that helped the community." And I just it was like, "No, yeah. come on,
1: not everyone got away, man." This was definitely this came out in two thousand yeah. This is definitely a post nine eleven book, yeah. as far as the writer and the mindset. Speaking of the devastation and remembering devastation and it creating prejudice and that and that prejudice, like holding on to the prejudice and it influencing everything. It definitely has that to to me, it has that feeling to it.
0: If you know the X-Men at all or if you don't know the X-Men at all, I think it's a great book in the sense that if you don't know the X-Men, it'll certainly give you an interesting timeline of the X-Men that mostly follows the, the actual narrative. And allows you to jump on the X-Men anywhere between 1963 and uh, probably 2000 um, without missing a beat. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I know Magneto. He's a bad guy. His, uh, you know, um, his family, he and his family are in concentration camp. Um, His powers came. He escaped and got together the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Great. This tells you that. In, In the actual comic books, it tells you the story a little bit differently. But but the main theme is there. So it's it's a good book to like jump on into if if you don't know the X-Men. And then if you do, you can look at it like us and go this is a different universe. <laughs> so, um Ro- Roger you 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 read this on Marvel Unlimited, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. And and give me your give me your main opinion of the whole story of the book. When I first looked at it, it's interesting that you mentioned Chrome because the
3: first thing I thought was This is almost his style of artwork. Uh, Exactly. Um, But it's grotesque and and cartoonish as some of his art is And some of the early pages. It's like done in a serious manner. So it's it's not like you're not reading like a Mad Magazine version of the X-Men. You're reading like kind of like an alternate universe sort of version of it. But I mean, you know, like Shane said, there's a lot of detail and an effort put into it. So the, the art kind of stands alone. That was the first thing that really hit me. The second thing was the narrative of the story. Um, even though he takes things out of order, you know, according to the comic books and puts them together in a different way. Yeah. I, I was really impressed just cause it works so damn well. I mean, it's just, it's, and he adds a little, you know, like, what was this page two? He's got this giant mutant. That's like, you know, 50 feet tall spanning this this crevice and people are running across him and there's another really tall guy getting a cat out of a tree that's all stuff that he's added in yeah
2: yeah because like in in the books in the 60s there were no ugly mutants no <laughs> right. there weren't at all
3: like with the x-men you see gene gray she's a beautiful redhead you see you know uh warren worthington he's you know a handsome guy he just happens to have wings
0: and But he can hide had those these wings. beast had these killer giant feet he wears like a thigh. Yeah. 22 or something shoe you know otherwise he's normal looking
2: yeah the, clo- the closest one was cyclops who was hideous because of his his visor no one can ever love me because i have to wear weird glasses in the
0: 80s people were going to the mall and buying those visors for like 80 bucks a pair
2: yeah <laughs> so, yeah um
0: Shane, what was your, over, or your overview of the book?
2: I had a lot of fun with it. I th- I was, like I said, I was like, I don't I was like, did I, I miss? I, it was like I was so into it that I was like, I, I missed something in the books. Like, I thought Lucifer just got randomly taken away at, at a, at a, out of nowhere in the book. It was just like, oh, no, we only got a page left. Oh, no, he's, he's teleported by the aliens. And in this one, he like, he turns into the, the Cthulhu, the Cthulhu creature and crawls off into the into the ether.
3: And for those of you who don't know who Lucifer is in a comic book, it's not Satan; it's an alien
0: trying to invade the Earth. Spoiler. So spoiler um, there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> On the sixty-year-old book,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, there is a section. Uh, so, like I said, this this book gives you highlights of major events that happened throughout the X-Men's history. One of which is um, Magneto's origin. And,
3: which uh, which is another retcon because that wasn't done for like two decades. Yeah, in the books originally.
0: But but Ed Piskor puts them all in here and, yeah, and he puts them too. in chronologically. So um, we're in World War II and we see Wolverine and Captain America fighting together, and they're fighting Nazis. Okay, which did happen. It's what
1: you should do, punch With the damn Nazis. Nazi. Yeah, you fight them. Um,
0: that was a story taken from Uncanny X Men number two sixty eight which was released in 1990. Um, but, it, you know, it's a flashback. It takes, back, takes place back in World War II. Uh, and in Ed Pisker's book here, they get overwhelmed by a shit ton of Nazis. And, uh, but don't worry about it, because all of a sudden, Captain America's shield just goes flying out of his hand, zips around, and hits every single one of those damn Nazis in the head, knocking them out. And that's because little Magneto, a young Magneto, is in the center of the fray. And he's using his powers to like knock out these these Nazis. So this is where Captain America and Wolverine meet Magneto, which didn't happen in the regular comic books at all that way. So
2: it didn't even happen in two sixty eight, right? That was No,
0: it didn't even happen in two sixty eight. No. no. They they never saw Magneto. Um
2: and the, and the and I guarantee that the sound effects for Captain America's shield hitting Nazis were not nearly as cool <laughs> as they are in this book. Too. Yeah, that's right. That, I was like, "Oh man, this is awesome. This is like old Batman TV series kind of sound effects." Was it a thwack? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dink pow. <laughs> Oof. So so um Piskar's, I don't know, he's really done something cool here and and I'd like to see, well, I'd like to see more of it. He actually has two more miniseries. The second miniseries is called X-Men Grand Design um, Second Genesis. And then the one after that is X-Men Grand Design Extinction. And I think basically the idea is that it take all three together take you from 1963 or 1942, 41, to the 90s, um, the heyday of the X-Men it's really great and and I, I seriously hope that this is a book that people read and like want to jump on to x-men um they don't have to go back to x-men number 32 like we have and, and slog through it oh my god but
2: oh come on I think that I was one of the things that disappointed me was there was no robot Frankenstein in <laughs> grand design here. yeah so was, the,
1: right I was disappointed that he didn't even uh, allude to any love triangles.
0: Love triangles. So because many love. In the X-Men, that's all there is.
1: There's lots of love triangles. <laughs> it's not stuff. even a
0: love triangle. It's like a love octagon I mean, or the something. The
1: Watcher knows. The Watcher knows. And the Watcher did not allude to a single love triangle.
2: Well, some things need to be private. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the Watcher saves the, those playbacks for when he's alone later. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. <laughs> uh-huh. So this is a two-issue series, or a a two issue mini-series. And I gotta say, reading through the reading through this book. Did it take you
2: guys long at all? No, like compared to the the regular issues, I, I blasted through like the whole first issue and well into the second.
3: Well, I think part of that is there's not as much dialogue in it. There's there's the little like narration boxes, but there's not a whole lot of dialogue to slow it down.
0: And that's that's because in 1967, uh, they have to tell you everything that's going on, even though you can see it. So in 2017. We know it's happening. Come on. Um,
1: With comics, one of the things that evolves is the, the writers begin to trust the readers. In, in the early days, they didn't trust the readers. Even though there would be pictures t- showing you action, a lot of times they would have dialogue that's like explaining the action to you. Oh, I've been hit in the side. I'm tipping over.
0: You know. We can see you're tipping over. You know. <laughs> no.
1: And... Oh. There was, there's less of that in, 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 this. This is definitely coming from someone who's writing in modern times.
2: Part of that too is, is um, the editor makes a big difference. There's no Stan Lee going, "Hey,
1: don't forget I'm still here." Yeah. yeah. So
2: because That's there's true. a lot of the, the uh, once Stan Lee stopped writing the book, he would constantly put notes in the book that didn't need to be there to remind people that he still worked for Marvel.
0: Note: This is Shane dogging on Stan Lee <laughs> and not Roger. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's an important note. <laughs> yeah. I, I've talked about getting shirts made that say, I do, I respect the man. I do not like his art. <laughs> um, so the editor on this book was, well, there were two. It was Chris Robinson and Mark Panacea. And I think it's tight, man. Um, he, t- you know, like I said, Ed Pisker takes the actual narrative of the comics for 30 years and mashes them into, you know, six issues and uh, kind of, of course, embellishes because he has to make it all flow well um there are times in the x-men that we're reading now in 1960s where the comics do not flow well
2: (laughs) oh we're two pages short well we'll just put two pages of bobby putting on his costume which at the time consisted of a belt and boots
0: yeah yeah um at some point he did add some tidy whities in there which was we're so grateful for
2: one of the things i really loved about this book is the the Juggernaut, what they did with the Juggernaut. They like really took him to the next level in this book. Like he was, he was just kind of an ass in the original books, but now he's like a psychopath. It's like, like he was like, he was like, "Uh, oh, you're my stepbrother uh, in the book. And now he's like, I'm going to stab you while you sleep. And then I'm going to watch you bleed out. That's actually, there is a,
0: and this is another thing where they don't really tell you, they show you. There's a whole, like, it's almost like a whole page. Of Charles Xavier looking into his stepbrother's mind and all these images of his brother like hanging him with a yep. noose or stabbing him or strangling him, it's it's disturbing. God, Ed Pisker, we love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he did these beautiful things too, where whereas Xavier, because his 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 mutant power is, is 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 psychic powers, right? And he's starting to like pick up people's thoughts and all this, and he can't, he's not controlling it when he's young, and he does these beautiful. Um, these these beautiful panels where little charles is sitting there or is trying to sleep and there's just like this writing across the panel behind the panel where it's just like people's thoughts people's thoughts people's thoughts and he's like curled up like oh miserable um and it's like it, all these like random sentences where you're like oh you know just stuff you're like oh i don't ooh, you know just icky things for
0: those of you that have listened to the podcast uh, i am putting together a notebook filled with the crimes of Xavier, mm. because <laughs> there's laughing in the back over there. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> Charles Xavier is the biggest supervillain in the Marvel universe, but um, this book, and I'm gonna give him a pass here, because it's a different universe.
1: <laughs> oh, I was writing down Crimes of Xavier. I have a couple right okay. here. Um, but, uh, yeah, go for it. Well, just at the start, uh, we have Violating Doctor-Patient Relationship.
0: Ooh, that was bad. That was a it's, big it's one. It's true, go ahead and explain that. Uh,
1: well, that was uh, when he was when he went to Israel because he had he had already built Cerebro and he sensed Magneto and he was looking for Magneto but then he does this thing this should also be a crime of Xavier he hel- he goes ahead and he helps somebody who's ill because he's just trying to get in the hospital where Magneto was working as an orderly it's just kind of sick you know he's like I just get to get close in Israel right? to that guy yeah and um but then he like ends up like getting close like too close to her. And then, then he knocks her up. And then he leaves her. He split. Yeah. And that's all told like really fast because so, this is a grand design. Yeah.
0: So so in the regular comic continuity, that happened. Okay. It happened. Um, Xavier's a dick, I'm telling you. So it <laughs> and that's not even in the sixties. Like, well, yeah, I I I want to say that was probably in the seventies. But at any rate, it did happen. Um, in this book, it happens. And Xavier feels guilty about it, which he doesn't. The Marvel not universe, not guilty. No, okay. I'm dude, dude to... brings delinquent dad to
3: a whole new level. I mean, come on, he split the entire country. He just took off.
2: Yeah. MTV would base a whole blo- week long block of, of programming around Charles
0: Xavier. True enough. True enough. He um, but he says to, he says to her, Gabrielle Haller is is the woman's name. He says, I I fear that. I may have influenced you when I went into your mind to help you. Cause she was, she was in like some catatonic state. So he used his mental powers to help her out. And he's like, what if I planted something that, that caused you to have feelings for me? I don't know how my powers work. I don't know how I am. I I have to leave. And she's like, what the, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you don't just get, and he does, he splits. And then, you know, a few months later, she's pretty, pretty round with child. So, um, that is a spoiler guys it's a yeah sorry it's a dick move but again that's it did happen it just happened a little differently like there's no apology in the original marvel universe he's just see ya and he's gone
1: so you're saying that he actually is trying to temper the jerk the jerkishness of of xavier trying to make him less of a jerk
0: no no he's still a jerk (laughs) so so go on give me some more crimes
1: mental control which he does a lot, uh-huh. but he, he does that. There's the whole sort of origin of of Iceman where he goes to uh, break Bobby out of jail. Right. I mean, he really didn't deserve to be in jail, but there he is.
0: They blasted a hole in they the wall. They blasted
1: a hole in the wall, which they didn't have to do, by the way, because they, they end up opening the cell door. So what was the hole about? <laughs> um, Dramatic. But effect. he, like, puts the whole police station under mind control so that everybody's hypnotized. I mean, what?
2: Now,
0: he's actually done stuff like that in the comics that we read.
2: Right, and we talked about that in the past, y'all crapped on me for that theory, and now I feel totally justified in saying Professor X has no problem mind controlling a whole building in order to get someone to walk over and get him a Snickers. And we saw it happen. We we saw it happen. Now, he
0: does this thing in the regular comic books where he's like, you know, he's in a wheelchair, so it's hard to maneuver. That's okay. He'll just mind control somebody who's driving by, and they'll pull over and give him a ride. And he does it
2: all the time.
0: <laughs> That's a dick move.
2: Charles Xavier,
0: lift service.
3: Yes. What was the first crime of Xavier, according to this? According to this?
0: I, I didn't write him down, because I was giving him a pass. Uh, well, being the, an The first interest. one,
3: I think, that I noticed was uh, when he first invades his stepbrother's mind. Right away. Yeah. Yeah, right away. I mean, whether it was on purpose or not, still, he did it. Those
0: murderous thoughts should be private.
1: <laughs> well, Ed Pisker does kind of portray it as a bit invasive. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he... They, when, he, when he's showing Cerebro being built and he's with Mar- Marv McTaggart, who is basically like his partner in that, that endeavor. Um, he, there's this thought bubble where he's saying, I couldn't have done this without you. And then there's her thought bubble where she's like, get out of my mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that, too, in the, in the regular comics, um, that he has no problem calling his X-Men to him. You know, when they're off doing something, X-Men come to me. He can just go into your mind and see what you're doing and talk to you. What if you're pooping? I mean, you know, what if what if you're like in a compromising position and you're like, uh, excuse me? We're adults. We're a couple. And we don't want you in our room. Um, Xavier is, yeah, that's not cool.
1: Um, I've mentioned it multiple times that I think that at the time, um, the, that Stan Lee and then later Roy Thomas were just... Using this as a way to like illustrate uh, Xavier's mental prowess, like look at how you know how strong his psychic ability is. Look how he uses his mutant abilities, and not how it's a violation. I think they were trying to show that it's not a vi- like not showing it as a violation. Like I don't think it was occurring to them that it was a violation.
3: Well, again, I'll I'll say this like I've said before. This is another example of the "might makes right" mentality. I can do it, so I'm going to do it, because mm. who is going to stop me?
1: Yeah, you have
2: talked about them. Yeah, well, and I think that especially like the way that um, Pisker wrote it and drew it here, it almost made it seem like like drawing back on the on the original books, it was written from a point of them feeling like, well, we we've written Xavier as the leader of the good guys, so anything he does inherently can't be bad, which is you know just factually inaccurate. But that's kind of the way that they approached it when they wrote the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Some of the events that go on. Uh, Pisker talks about or he shows us the origin of the uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch or I should say the the origin of their relationship with Magneto at some point in the Marvel universe in the Marvel continuity you know these two young people belong to Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants right at the beginning Um, it goes along that we realize they are basically being guilted into being there or they're, they're they joined because he saved their lives and so they feel like they owe him and, and at some point, they go, screw this, and they leave. Uh, later on in continuity, we realize Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are Magneto's actual children. Um, and and so this, when Pisker's talking about them meeting and them getting together, I was very interested in it. Because this is the kind of thing that, I'm like, is he going to change this at all? And he really didn't change that. But it's it's just one of those, like, really interesting, let me show you my take on their relationship and how they get together. Um. Other things that he talks about, there's some great origin stories in here, like Star Jammer's origins. Um, yeah, that's right. That was really cool. And well, go ahead and tell us about it, Shane.
2: Well, I mean, you just, well, so one of the things that you did miss was the fact that, like, later on in continuity, um, that um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are might not be...
0: Not be his children. Be right. his <laughs> children.
2: Or, no, they say that they're not. So Polaris is his only child, but she was never, like, they never really said that he was... Did, did they prove that they were charles xavier's children because that would be just like charles <laughs> <laughs> um no but like like i said just like the some of the cool origin stuff was really fun like what was really cool was the, just like the um how they brought the sheer and the kree and the scroll and um
1: the mutant master yeah.
2: in really early and what it was like a really like... dumb helmet <laughs> it it gets better as the story goes on, even though it was drawn by the same person. And the first time we saw it, it looked like he had like cut holes in a, in a colander and then hung a shower curtain on the inside. So there are definite improvements when it starts to look like a solid piece of, of gear. Fashion from 1967. Yes, indeed. No, but like the little, the little bug ship that like attacks, attacks the airplane that the Summers family is flying in um, is, is, is completely different from, from what had happened in the actual
0: books, it, except so here's the thing, right? That ship looks more like the ship from the X Men animated series. Okay, and that's exactly what Ed Pisker was doing. So, well, got, that probably influenced him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's he has grabbed influence from everything. So, I like got a little timeline for you. You watch the Watcher, who's telling the story, originally showed up in Fantastic Four number 13, 1963. Ed Pisker brought that element in. Uh, the Recorder, who the Watcher is telling his story to, showed up in Thor, number 132, also in 1963. The Submariner fights the Human Torch and floods New York City in Human Torch Comics, number 58, 1941. Wolverine and Captain America did team up with the Uncanny, uh, in Uncanny X-Men 268 from 1990, but they didn't meet a young Magneto. Instead, Wolverine and Captain America met a young Magneto in that story in X-Men Evolution, the animated series, Season 2, Episode 14, in 2002. So he was grabbing from everything that the X-Men were involved in. I mean, maybe even some video games, who knows, you know, it's, he's, he's using all those elements and it's because Ed Pisker, being born in 1982 was into the comics. He was into the cartoons as a young person and, and these things really, really influenced him and they stuck with him.
2: He was 10 years old when the, when the cartoon came on TV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: 10 years old. He was into it. He was into it. Um, but I'm sorry, Shane, I interrupted, uh, other origins what do you think
2: um i like i said all of the origins were really cool like the, the way that they met um chode um <laughs> chode one of my favorites <laughs> always get a chuckle out of that one the first contact between x and Jean gray was really cool i thought that the way they did that it was like a mental contact first because she was in a coma that and uh, just the way they did that was fantastic um and some of this some of this we might have missed going through the original books because they go back a couple of times like there's X-Men first class there's um
0: well, we, and and we'll probably get, get into those um I'm the 90. one that yeah I'm the one that assi- assigns what we read and when we read it um famously I have missed one issue where Angel fights Iron Man and almost kills him.
1: Everybody hates Angel. I don't, I don't hate Angel, but these guys hate Angel. We don't hate Angel. It's just Rob.
2: Rob's the only one that hates Angel.
1: <laughs> oh, Drew hates Angel.
2: <laughs> Drew, well, okay. Yeah. He
1: says he's the most useless mutant.
0: Subwise he is. Yeah. Well, at any rate. He
3: what can he do? He flies.
1: That's so awesome. Yeah. And he's into bondage.
0: He's <laughs> so, so into bondage. Shabari, man, he gets tied up in ropes all the time. Um, so... <laughs> you got on Stop. that now. I, I have no idea where I was going. Um,
1: well, I just I feel like I have to stand up for, for, yeah, Angel. for Angel.
0: So I decide what we read and when we read. And I try to do the X Men, the X Men in order. So we're reading from number one on, but we're also reading books that branch off. But it's the Avengers as they meet the X Men. Or uh, um, we're reading Daredevil 12, 13, and 14 because Kazar from the Savage Land shows up. And the X Men met Kazar in, in a previous Issue of theirs. Also, in in the nineties, Kazar was the shit. Everybody loved that guy. He was drawn by Jim Lee. His work, I mean, is gorgeous. So we were all into Kazar when when that happened. And I'm like, hell yeah, we're putting Kazar in this series. Come on. So even though he's not an X Man. We're reading books with Kazar because he will be very important in the X Men universe.
2: Well, you forget the other important part. We were all teenagers when those books came out, and so every time they went to the Savage Land for no apparent reason, everyone's costume got all ripped up, and everyone's running around in speedos and bikinis, and it was just a a flash fest in those books. <laughs> as you do, as you do. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah,
0: I, I there was there was a lot in this issue, um, but I want to ask you guys about the conquistador who has been a character in my mind for years like i know i've read something with the conquistador um and in this particular book he shows up and he is toad's boss and and i know that when we started reading the x-men toad it was working for magneto the whole time Mm -hmm.
2: we haven't come across the conquistador at all um yeah that came out of left field i was like i i don't know what's going on here so so
1: oh good i'm not the only one yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so my guess is that the conquistador will show up in a back like a kind of a flashback story
2: yeah i was thinking maybe it was like like the you remember the books that came out in the 80s because the x-men were so popular they started reprinting old issues in a book called classic x-men and then like the last six pages of that book would it was like direct market so you could only buy it at comic book stores so there were no ads in it so the last six pages of the book were all like a new story that has been written to add to what's in that issue so
0: i think that 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 has to be where he came from could could very well be some really good stories by some amazing artists and writers by the way in that book like like ron Lim um art but no before ron Lim, it uh like oh gosh i think barry windsor
2: smith had some art
0: in there right
2: i know that john byrne really had some some early stuff in those john
0: byrne boland had some great art in there um the X-Men, of course, was a book from 1963 to, well, let me just say, from issue one to issue 66, and then they canceled it.
2: Well, they didn't cancel it. They just stopped paying anybody to write new ones, yeah. and then <laughs> since so few people had read them the first time, they went back and were reprint, just reprinting the like the last 30 issues again. So the numbering
0: continued, but they were just reprinting old issues, and so nothing was going forward. Um Now, other books from time to time would have X Men characters in it, like you know, the Hulk would meet Angel, or you know, something to that effect. In 1975, they decided, okay, let's—it's time we start this series up again—and they did it with giant-sized X Men. Wait, go go
3: back. If the Hulk meets the Angel, who wins?
2: Angel almost kills him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) There were like um, there was the Champions, which was the which was the West Coast-based team. Yeah. Um, and Angel and Beast were part of that, um, yep. and Iceman was on it for a while. Ghost Rider, yep, Ghost Rider. Um, uh, Beast was also on the Avengers during that oh, time. He, he
0: was. He moved on to to be an Avenger. It's true.
2: I think the only ones that they really didn't touch a lot were like Cyclops and Jean.
0: Nobody knew what to do
2: with them. Yeah, because it was like they were paired together. So you know, to add two more characters to a team comic book was seen. well when but when you take all the other team members away
3: there's no way to have a love triangle so you just leave those characters out
0: X-Men is is a soap opera by the way from day one
2: Yeah absolutely it's yeah there's um yeah the the number of times characters have been in comas in this book would lend credence to what Rob is saying <laughs> Uh
0: they've been in comas they've amnesia been possessed they've had amnesia yeah
1: Um also Jean Grey is the female character and they often didn't know what to do with her
0: That's the truth Um That's not true she got to serve food in one issue she served food so so Jean gray because you know in 1960s written by Jewish white white Jewish men uh, the young lady they don't know what to do with her and let's go fight uh, Jean gray can you serve dinner or cook dinner while we're off fighting I mean it's a something not quite that but almost
1: well they make, they let her fight kinda but you know she has this telekinetic power and they 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 have her use it but then it's like if she lifts something she wears herself out because it's so heavy. And then whenever there's some something that's traditionally done by a woman, like uh, cooking or something, you can bet that Jean Grey's the one that did it. Except
0: who makes the ice cream in the family?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: ice man, for some reason, can just whip up ice cream with his powers. Uh it- to me, that's like a snow cone with no flavor, but the yeah, ice. Yeah, he can know. whip up flavored ice cream. Giraffes love it. <laughs> Yellow snow. Giraffes mm-hmm. love it. Um,
2: no, well, to give you, just, just to put it in context, they in one issue they were training in the um, danger room. Ice Man is making a pole vault, and the Beast is like, you know, balancing on a ball, and Angel flies through a hoop, and Jean is using her mental powers to knit.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I, I can't knit. So, I mean, it, it looks tough. Yeah,
2: it does look tough. Absolutely. But I, I just, I feel that like if everyone else is good at dodging obstacles, I don't know how, you know, dropping a stitch is going to <laughs> help fight in and, Velasco.
0: And Cyclops really points out that she dropped a stitch. He lets her know it too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so. He's a stern taskmaster, that Scott Summers. Uh, having
3: come from that like humble origin for the character. They do take her pretty far. Yeah. I mean, she she
0: becomes a powerhouse character in the uh, comic books as a whole. She's probably currently the most powerful character in the Marvel universe.
1: In fact, part of the grand design is the fact that there's this force in the universe called the Phoenix force that is looking for a powerful vessel. Spoiler alert. And that (laughs) vessel is Jean Grey. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I know
0: everybody is shocked and dismayed.
1: Spoiler, everyone. Spoiler.
0: You just ruined it.
1: And, um, I mean, it's, in comics, that is a well-known thing. And, um, it, well, actually, it's not really disclosed, but everyone is scrambling around trying to find who the vessel is because they're hoping to control it. And um, But if you know the story, you know who the Phoenix Force is going to be, who embodies it, who comes to embody it. And it's part of the grand design, is that so many of these things that seemed episodic and just one-offs are part of wor- yeah, because working that's, forward.
3: That's how he weaves the
2: narrative.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Which like, was which would
2: which really got me thinking because one of the thing we one of the things we do is we um in the podcast we have filler episodes well not filler but it's just like something different so we do like three episodes of commentary on the books and then we did like a bunch of episodes where we interviewed each other kind of get to know you type of things uh one of the things we've talked about doing is like different possibilities with the stories we've read so far and you know reading this has made me like come up with an idea for one of those to be like what if stan lee and jack kirby actually did have a plan when they were writing these and it wasn't just writing issue to issue
0: I'd like to see how that turns
2: out. (laughs) Well,
3: you know, that brings up the idea, though, that I would love to know what Stanley would think if he were to read this. Because he'd be like, oh, I could have written that, and I didn't, you know?
0: No, yeah, I think he'd really enjoy it. I think he'd love it. I think
3: so, too, because I I think he'd be proud of what people did with his characters. But I just, you know, it's the kind of thing where one person is trying to create this whole universe, which is obviously difficult. But it's amazing to see what other people can do with it.
2: Right. Well, I mean, and that was again. We we've talked about this before. Stan's greatest contribution to comic books wasn't his writing; it was his editorial vision that made Marvel Comics still the number one comic book company in the world sixty years later.
3: I would say that's secondary. I think his greatest contribution was just being a literal spokesman and being out there and doing what he did. I mean, he was a used car salesman for Marvel Comics. He was a conny. and he
0: freaking rocked it. A, so a, a carnival barker. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But he was good at what he did. So the whole mind wipe thing is something that comes up a lot in our in our uh, conversations, um, because, like I said, Xavier uses it all the time. He uses his powers on people all the time, um, but he mind wipes people left and right. If you know, we need the Human Torch to come help fight Juggernaut, and so the Human Torch he uses his mind to drag him out to the mansion to help fight Juggernaut, and when Human Torch does it. And he's like, "Wow, you're the X Men. This is where you live." He's like, "Mind wipe," you know. So now the Human Torch goes wandering off into the wilderness, not knowing what he had just done. Um, <laughs> that's a crime for sure. So if, you, <laughs> if if you had that power, I'd use it all the time. Well, I would be a super villain. No, absolutely, no
3: question. Yeah. <laughs> I have thirty thousand in debt. No, I don't. That's gone. I've
0: already used it on you. <laughs> I didn't
1: notice. You wouldn't. <laughs> But if you seriously, if you had
0: that ability, wouldn't you go to like the world leaders and make them stop fighting and being douchebags? Yeah. And then I'd make them wear tutus and dance around in public on TV. Yeah, (laughs) I totally would. That's fair.
2: Bobby's got it right, though. If I had that power, I would make ice cream. Yes. So um, I do have to say, though, in this book. Man looked way cooler than he ever did yeah, in the early books. Like, yeah, there was there was no Mr. Ice Cream Man in this book.
3: Well, even that version of him, he still had muscle definition and tone. He still looked human, and not just had, a walking blob
0: of whatever. And
2: he had that weird kind of, you know, eldritch horror helmet thing yeah. that he did. That yeah. thing was dope. That
0: was pretty cool. Uh, there is a, a scene in the book. Well, there's a couple scenes. I'm going to point out real quick. A couple scenes in the book that I really like. One is when Charles Xavier is fighting the Shadow King. In their minds, and there's no conversation. It's just Charles's eyes are red, veins are popping out of his head, and he's sweating. He's got the bloody nose, he's yeah. Got the, yeah, his nose is bleeding. That's one panel. The second panel is Charles Xavier being ripped apart by these hands coming out of nowhere, like one grabbing his arms and legs and just pulling. And then the third panel is the Shadow King, who's the, the puller, right? He's the one that he's fighting, and Shadow King's looking at him and sweating too. Next. Next page, next panel, set of panels. It's Xavier, just giving it his all. The center panel, instead of him being pulled apart, is explosion, and then there's the Shadow King dead. Like <laughs> no, no, no text, no
3: dialogue. It's it's pretty intense. So if anyone has seen the classic horror science fiction movie Scanners,
0: yeah, it's That's very much like that.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's a psychic power fight. So,
0: but but there's also a scene in the book where. Toad and his boss are walking through through the panel, and Toad says, hey, the snow tastes good. And his boss is like, snow? And then Iceman comes out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> actually, in all these parts you're talking about, the use of the color white is really good. The, the paper, you know, looks sort of brown and t- tinted. Mm-hmm. And the use of the color white in this book is actually really striking and contrasts really well. And it pops off the page. Yeah. And Iceman looks really cool use white. Um, there's a there's a shot there's a there's a panel where there's a character holding two feathers and they're from angel and they're white and they kind of are really striking. There's there's just a lot of cool um, uses of a, of the of the color white um, in this book. I, I think um, it's sometimes uh, to me a little too dense. You know, just trying to fill just a lot of little things all at once, just da 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 one after the other. Sometimes a little too much of that, but overall I think the grand design is a very cool book. And I think if you wanted to get a sense of X-Men and and, and, and the characters that populate um, uh, the X-Books, this is a cool book to read.
0: On that note, um, we're going to have to wrap soon, but I want to know if there's any questions. Questions about the books, questions about the podcast, questions about Roger's deep-seated hatred for
3: Stanley. Jack, Jack Kirby. Jack
2: <laughs>
1: I don't hate
0: Stanley. I don't hate Jack Kirby.
1: I have a question. Oh, go for it. What's the best... Love triangle.
0: Oh yeah, Captain and Tennille. Um, That's
2: no. The Carpenters. Wait. <laughs> well, early on, it was it was Professor X and Scott that were chasing Jean Grey.
0: Oh, yeah, gross! True but nice. it
2: was gross because Jean Grey was like seventeen and one of Charles' students. Yeah. Um, and then it became Angel and um, and and Scott going after Jean Grey. Um, then we had Ted come in. That was the best part of this book, by the way, was was it was was Gene and, and Ted going 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 to town on each other. That was like Wait.
1: yes. They didn't show anything. No,
2: it's hinted at. But yeah, yeah it's all they very did. tasteful. You know, behind a curtain. But it did happen. It did happen. Ted.
0: Good old Ted. Ted Roberts is is
1: That's probably the best love triangle uh, is it it actually it briefly becomes a square oh yeah where it's gene warren S- scott and ted and then warren kind of goes you know what nah and b- and fails bails. Yeah. yeah and so it stay so the triangle is scott ted and gene
0: yeah now, but
3: that was only after scott shot him with an i beam subconsciously
0: now now later later in the books there's another triangle and that is cyclops Marvel girl and wolverine
2: and then I'm a frost,
0: and then it, and that becomes a square, and right. it stays a square for a while. In fact, in fact, I think it just becomes kind of an open thing, like yeah. you know, everybody's sharing the hot yeah, that's tub. That's years yes. away. That is Don't years away. Don't be late away. for hot
2: tub night, Scott.
0: <laughs> Boy, cleaning the hot tub after Wolverine gets in. the hot tub. you know,
2: <laughs> you know, he's clogging up the filter. <laughs> so, um,
0: but. Unless you guys have more, I think that'll probably
2: I did have one thing and yeah. it was a problem that has been a through line through the regular issues and it continued in this one and it's Angel with the strapping down his wings. I make jokes about Angel being into bondage, okay? But what it is, really is is it's like the whole gimmick is is that he straps down his wings and then he puts on normal clothes. So he can go out in public and, and can can go out own. in public. Yeah. And the, my problem with it is is everyone they like he he straps down the wing, puts on the coat, and they draw him all twinky, and he's ready to go out and, you know, blow his whistle at the nightclub. But if he really tried to strap down his wings, it would still look like he was wearing a backpack with a monkey sitting on top carrying a bowling ball. He'd be square. There's no way yeah. you could get around it. No.
0: He'd have to wear, like, a David Byrne kind of suit. You yeah. Know, this big, giant thing. Yeah.
2: You may ask yourself, how did I get here? That's right. I <laughs> flew.
0: <laughs> that's right. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's it for tonight. Thank you guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, anyway, thanks, you guys. See ya. Thanks.
1: Thanks.